When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. I just know from my seat, it felt like one of those seminal days that a lot of people are going to talk about for a long time. We said that towards the end of the broadcast last night. I just feel like this is one of those days where people will remember it. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Well, 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 that incredibly snazzy music could only mean one thing. We are back on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Great to have you here. I'm your host, John Little. Welcome into the show. Man, I missed you. Make sure that uh, you are subscribing to the podcast. If you're finding us for the first time, maybe you clicked on our newsletter and it took you here to the podcast and you're like, what is this? This is awesome. I hope you're saying that and I hope you're also hitting subscribe right after that, wherever you get your podcast. And also, of course, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, uh, we're doing great on the ratings. Keep them coming. Uh, Whatever you think we deserve, four stars, five stars, five stars. Five stars is always really awesome, and we appreciate that. Make sure to review it as well. Oh, by the way, our email is podcast at herhoopstats.com, podcast at herhoopstats.com if you ever want to reach out to us. Our guest today is a personal hero of mine. You know, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, I'm a big play-by-play guy, radio for a long, long time. Only recently was I forced into the TV side of things, kicking and screaming. Uh, No, I'm kidding, but uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. But one of the guys that I have watched very intently to see how he does his craft is Adam Amin. And Adam, of course, is the A-team voice, the A-team play-by-play voice of women's college basketball on ESPN. And man, he does a terrific job helping to lead that crew. And he was on the call on Monday night when Sabrina Ionescu eclipsed the 2000-1000-1000 mark, grabbed that 1,000 rebound, had her 26th triple-double as well. Just an incredible night on two 
24-20. It all came together on one evening. And, of course, he's gotten to call a lot of incredible games over the past three years. Uh, we think about Arike Gumbawale's uh, game winners in the semifinals in the championship game in 2018, and then so many more. But uh, this one was really, really special. So I feel so privileged to be able to have talked to Adam right after this game went down, less than 24 hours after he called it. I caught up with him from his place in Chicago and just asked him what his raw reaction was to what he experienced on Monday night at Stanford. I feel like this is, uh, I, I, I hesitate sometimes because I don't want to overblow things. I don't want to put too much on the actions of a 22 year old kid, you know, and, and I, and I also hesitate saying kid because I feel like Sabrina showed us she's anything but uh, a kid, uh, not just last night, but throughout the day yesterday with, uh, her performances, not, uh, you know, plural. I, I don't want to overblow this. I don't want to make it seem like it's more than it is, but it really felt like a seminal moment for, I think women's college basketball and maybe I am overblowing it, but I do just feel like, I think, like, I think back to like great NBA moments and I'm a junkie and I grew up on it. I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in the Jordan era and I watched all these dramatic performances that just kind of built up this legacy and this legend about, about, you know, one of the great players in the history of that particular sport. And to see that kind of translate over to Kobe Bryant and to see, you know, these impressive and legendary performances that are kind of indelible in our heads. I, I don't know how to put this game or this day, you know, this, this past day in perspective properly, uh, I just know from my seat, it felt like one of those seminal days that a lot of people are going to talk about for a long time. And we said that towards the end of the broadcast last night. I, I just feel like this is one of those that that was one of those days where people will, will remember it and not just, hey, that was cool that we have a 2000, 1000, 1000 player, which is a, an incredible accomplishment in and of itself. But to do it in the type of matchup, to do it on the road, to do it against the top five team, to do it against a conference rival with a championship on the line, and then to, to have all of that take place after what had clearly been an emotional day for the basketball world at large. And to have somebody perform the way they did in a game, knowing they have that connection with two people that have clearly left a uh, an imprint on our thoughts about college about, about uh, basketball, excuse me. And to have that person with that connection, not only honor that connection in person in a city, 300, 400 miles away, and then to come arrive clearly not in a hundred percent to perform the way she did and to set the record and to do it in front of uh, some impressive people and to do it against a really good team. I, I it's just there's so many storylines that I just feel like are gonna feed into what what was clearly a legendary performance. And, and again, I hesitate sometimes because I don't want to make it bigger than it is. It's just one game. Uh it is a fun, cool record, but you know, are we really do we really care about records and, and things like that that much? You know, your mileage may vary on that. But from my seat, I just feel like all of these thoughts and emotions that I, I've just now started to really think about John since you asked a great question 
uh, I really feel like it's one of those days that a lot of basketball fans are going to remember for a long time for a multitude of reasons. Well, you said it so much better than I could have, but at the same time, this is that's exactly what I was thinking, that we knew 2,000, 1,000, 1,000 was coming barring injury this season. We could see that was coming maybe from the middle of last season. We could see it was mm-hmm. an eventuality. But for everything to come together on, on that night, and I know you're not about you being the storyline, but but ESPN two is there. It's the A broadcast team, all that stuff. I, you know, it, it really is kind of a, a fairy tale, some positive, some negative uh, type uh, movie script. Let's go with that because I, I know you love movies. Um, the movie script type storyline. It's it's almost like it was it was planned somewhere other than uh, <laughs> other than Earth here. Yeah, there's a there's a, a universal alignment to this, right? There's, a, you know, the date, you know, and obviously February 24th was set as the memorial date for the reason, for that reason, because it's two and 24. Um, but, you know, it's to have Sabrina's number, you know, B20, and it's, you know, it's all part of the date. Again, that's is that coincidental? Yes, probably, probably is. But I, I think the romantic in all of us and the fan in all of us and the person who looks at sports as a fulcrum for multiple things not just as an entertainment piece i think all of us that part inside of us wants to believe that the universe kind of aligned just right for you know this particular bubble of the world to enjoy it and to appreciate it and i i think that's that's kind of what it's about to be able to put some of these things into proper perspective and maybe it's not proper but to put them into a perspective that people can latch on to and can understand and process and absorb in a way that makes us appreciate it on a level equal to you know what we see in men's basketball or the nba or the wnba or whatever it may be you know there there's a lot of layers to this to what sabrina did and obviously the accomplishment individually and as a team they're both you know very important and very impressive but I do feel like there, there, there's some, there. This is a little bit of a seminal moment. I want to see more people just look at the sport of basketball and not have this gender line be drawn on it. And I was thinking, and again, not to make this heavier than it is, John, but it's just something I was thinking about last night. I was sitting at the airport after the game, getting ready to red eye home, and I just kept thinking to myself, like. I, I, why can't people appreciate this as much as they like, if this were Zion Williamson a year ago doing something like this and say Zion was a four year starter and one of the most popular players in the country. And he pulled off something like this. We would treat, treat him as if he were the greatest thing that's ever touched the game of bas- of college basketball. And I, I'm sure some people do feel that way about Sabrina. Those who are fans, those who are uh, entrenched in the sport, you know, and I, I happen to be one of those people, but I also call the NBA and I call men's basketball and I call college football in the NFL and college softball and major league baseball. And I, I see all these sports and I see these levels of appreciation for these marks and records that get set and broken and reset and redefined. And I just, you know, I want that same appreciation to be placed on this accomplishment. And I think because it's Sabrina, because it's an amazing story, because these universal elements all seem to align together a little bit. I I hope that people's appreciation of this moment of the record of the day of the night, all, uh, all kind of arrive where they're supposed to arrive. Cause I really do think it was an important night. Uh, Like I said, I I don't want to make it bigger than it is, but I do think it's very important relative to what we're talking about. 
well, I think there are a lot of people that feel exactly the same way. So I, I don't think anybody that's listening to this is going to fault you at all. I want to hear about um, technically dancing through the storylines last night because it was not only um, well, it's, it's everything we've already talked about. OK, uh, yes, absolutely. Remembering Kobe and Gigi, remembering, you know, honoring Sabrina for what she was about to do with 2K, 1K, 1K. And then at the same time, she's got a, a triple double that uh, eventually she grasps as well. Uh, her 26th and you guys as uh, as as a program, as a show, did a great job uh, of moving through those storylines throughout the night, but then not you know, uh, and then giving the game its due to uh, when you had to do that. How difficult is that? And how much better as, as a broadcaster have you gotten at that as you start to work into whatever, whatever it is a, a decade now um, as a professional? How much better have you gotten at being able to, to do that? Because that's just that's hard to do to, to spin all those plates. Uh, I'll, I'll say this first, and I don't mean to sound uh, sound like I'm, uh, again, overblowing anything. I, I think we did a great job. I was very, very proud of the team effort that our our crew crew uh, applied to that broadcast last night. It starts with Kerry Callahan, our, our great producer, and Jimmy Platt, our wonderful director, and, and, and a very uh, heady truck, uh, production truck, that, that really invests and cares about the product they're putting out there. Uh, and then, you know, my partners last night, LaChina Robinson and, and Rebecca Lobo, uh, we all knew what we were getting into. We all knew what was at stake, you know, for us in TV, this is one, you know, these are, this is a national championship caliber of storyline. You know, this is, this is, we, we came into this game knowing what was happening and we treated it like it was a national title type of game. Uh, with the, in terms of care and in terms of awareness and trying to be on top of all these storylines. So I credit the crew first and foremost for, for kind of navigating this. But, but I say that to say this, the timing and the pacing of the game really was fortunate as well. Uh, we knew the number was nine coming in. Uh, for Sabrina to get that before the end of the third quarter, and to kind of almost get that out of the way, so to speak. In fact, for her to get her eighth rebound when she needed nine, to get her eighth rebound before a timeout so that when we come back, we know the next one is the one. Like, that's a fortunate bounce that you can't necessarily plan for. You hope for something like that, and when it lands in your lap, you go, oh, thank God, we, we got a little bit of a break there. You know, that's that's a big break, and I don't know if if, if – anybody sitting at home would necessarily realize that unless they work in a TV truck and they're working within the constraints and the, and the restrictions and limitation of what a TV broadcast does for a college basketball game on the women's side, we have X amount of breaks. We know when those breaks come, we don't know when a timeout is going to be called and we may step aside. Uh, we have all these elements that may or may not be used depending on the time and scoring situation. And when we're going to a break or if we're coming back from one, you know, we have Steph Curry, who's ready to do an interview with us in the second half, and we don't want to lose that. But we can't start an interview with Steph Curry if Sabrina's got seven rebounds, because what if she gets two back to back? Now we've lost the moment. You know, it's it, it, these are the elements that are not that not a lot of people would would know about, nor should they. That's not your job sitting at home to know about these things. It's my job and Carrie's job and Rebecca's job and LaChina's job and Jimmy's job and everybody else's job. 
to know those things. It's not your job. So our goal is to bring all of this to you as fluidly and as cleanly as possible. But the game sometimes does its job and helps us out. And I think last night, the pacing, the timing of the game, the moments, the numbers themselves, and when they showed up, uh, I think that was very fortuitous for us as well. So, you know, some nights it's great like that. It just is. And I've been lucky to be in the chair for a lot of great moments, but sometimes the moments time themselves and present themselves in a proper format and skeleton and structure. So, you know, not to undermine the work that we did, because I was really proud of how we handled all that. But I, I also think that the timing and the pacing of the game just felt right. And maybe that is part of that universal alignment we were talking about before too, John. Oh, heck yeah. I, you know, the, um, how many years is this for you as the, the lead broadcaster on the women's basketball uh, schedule? Uh, this is my third year. Third year, okay. Uh, you know, as you've crossed over between uh, the guys' game and the women's game, have you felt more acceptance among, um, you know, the uh, even the other broadcasters you work with on the guys' side or the people you hang out with on the guys' side, the NBA side, uh, than you felt right at first? Do you feel like there is progress uh, being made? Is there, um, is there momentum like it? Uh, it kind of feels like on my end. I think so. Uh, I feel it. And, and it might just be, you know, my own little bubble that I've, I've worked and operated in for the last few years, but I, I feel it. And, and I think part of it is because it's basketball. You know, I, I've always said that, you know, and I co I've covered volleyball. I've covered, you know, I, I cover college softball. Uh, I've covered a lot of women's sports in my career, but basketball is the, at least for me, the, the sport that parallels the men's game and, you know, like there's not really much of a difference. You can make the dunking argument or the athleticism. I don't, whatever. Like I like to me, there's not, it's basketball. And I think the players who play the game and you saw that with Kobe's memorial, like Diana Taurasi's up there and Sabrina's up there. These are people that matter in their worlds. Diana might be the greatest WNBA player ever. Sabrina's probably the most recognizable college player in the women's game right now. Maybe the men's game too. Like, like these are important figures and there's not really much of a line being drawn except for people who comment on Twitter videos and on Instagram posts. Like, and, and I, I, I get frustrated with that sometimes too, but I don't want to make that out to be the real world. Cause it's not, it's a, a slice of a very, very small minority of people and their thoughts and feelings in knee-jerk moments. You know, this is the first thought I have. I want to make a snide or snarky comment, or I want to say something derogatory or whatever it is, and then I'm going to go back to my, you know, existence where this carries over. Like, I, I, I want to realize that the world that I operate in, when I go to games and arenas and talk to players, whether it's a women's player or a men's player, whether it's a college athlete or a professional athlete, I think in the sport of basketball, this is the most... Uh, this is the sport where game recognizes game period end of sentence i think this is the sport where the translation between male to female college to pro the respect level between pro and college the respect level between men and women this is the sport that i think blurs those lines as be as as well as any sport maybe the best of any sport 
and uh, and maybe soccer is in that too. You know, we've watched the international game grow so much uh, with the U.S. national team and things like that. But I feel like in basketball, that line blurs so much, and it's a it's a good thing for the sport. And I feel that talking to NBA guys, like I, I'll I'll tell you a story. Like a couple of years ago, when Muffet McGraw's team won the national title. I, you know, that's early April when Notre Dame wins the national championship. And that was the year that Muffet and her team had more ACL tears than losses, right? They had four players go down with an ACL injury. And a few weeks later, I was calling the NBA playoffs and I'm in Brad Stevens office, uh, the head coach of the Celtics. And I've known Brad since I was a college student when he was at Butler and I was at Valpo. And the first thing he wanted to talk about was Muffet and how, he wanted advice from Muffet and they wanted to exchange, you know, kind of strategies about how to deal with personnel issues. That was the year that Kyrie Irving had been banged up for the Celtics and they had dealt with a significant amount of injury that year. I think that was the year that Gordon Hayward got hurt within the first 10 minutes of the season. So even in the coaching ranks, not just the players, but the coaches have a respect for one another. You know, Gino Ariema is a great Boston Celtics, a big Boston Celtics fans goes to a lot of games. He's really close with a lot of these coaches and players, like they don't see gender lines, who you're coaching, what they don't care about that. I think players and coaches for the most part in the sport of basketball, respect the game. They respect the strategy. They respect the coaching. They respect the work that it takes to be great at it relative to your level. Sure. Do I want to, do I want to say that Sabrina could play in the NBA? No, I don't want to say that. I don't know that there's no examples of that. You know, we, we saw that story about Tarasi and maybe Deladon and maybe Sue Bird or, you know, players like that can, you know, there's NBA players that believe they could play. I trust their opinions on that more than I would my own because I haven't seen an example, but if they say it, I believe it. And I just feel like that respect is so universal in the sport of basketball. And I wish that people outside the sport or people that are casual fans or maybe just fans of the NBA or fans of just men's college basketball would recognize that a little bit more because the players and coaches certainly do. That's an excellent distinction. That's good stuff, Adam, and I really appreciate that. I, I was curious about this. At this point in the season, do you know which regional you're going to be at, or does that wait until the bracket happens, or how does that all get played out and decided, or am I asking a question you're going to have to kill me if you answer it? No, no, not at all. Uh, we don't know. Honestly, we don't know, and, and it's because we want to wait until the bracket plays itself out and you know all of us want to know you know who's going to be matched up with who and 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 i'm sure i i don't know this for a fact but i'm sure this is kind of maybe how cbs and turner do it too on the men's side all right what are the elite eight matchups potentially you know that we're going to see or what or what are the second round matchups that might be intriguing you know i know they do it a little bit differently in terms of their structure they only have eight teams in the first weekend where we have 16 uh but in terms of regionals I think it's the same thing that they do. It's like, what's the biggest story? Where are most important storylines? Where's the most intrigue? All right, let's send a broadcast crew to that to that region. And it's hard this year, right? Because you have three essentially, essentially dominant teams in South Carolina, Baylor, Oregon, who are likely going to be in their home states to play the third and fourth rounds, uh, to play in the regionals to, with a chance to go to the final four. And then Fort Wayne is the one a region that's a little bit cloudy right now, but you know, for, for me, I just, I, I wait to see, you know, and I think our entire organization waits to see what's the best spot 
to send this crew, that crew. You know, I, I haven't seen South Carolina yet. And I'm and I'm I don't think I'm talking out of school or anything like that. I'm gonna get the assignment that I get and we're gonna happily call it and then we'll be in New Orleans. That's all at the end of the day we get to call the final four and, and the national championship and that's all that's all that really matters. But for me, I haven't seen South Carolina yet. Uh, in person. I would love to see South Carolina in person, potentially. But let's say UConn gets matched up with Oregon. Is that the most compelling story? Probably. Maybe that's the region we end up in. If it's, you know, Louisville, UConn and Fort Wayne, is that a really compelling potential Elite Eight matchup? Well, maybe they decide we want you in South Carolina. We want Beth and Deb over in Fort Wayne. We think that would be a great region for them to call. That's great. And and I think with the kind of the spread of the storylines in this particular NCAA tournament and again this is more projecting ahead to the elite eight and anything can happen in those first few rounds but projecting ahead to the elite eight there there's a lot of spread of storyline so i i honestly don't know where we'll end up uh we'll have we'll obviously get the assignment when the brackets come out but uh i think this year unlike other years where you know we've been kind of locked in on the yukon circuit uh because they've had really compelling elite eight matchups south carolina a couple years ago last year against louisville those seem like the right places for our crew to be uh, this year. Maybe a little bit different. And at the end of it all, as long as we're in new Orleans called the final four on April the 3rd, I'll be a happy guy. Absolutely. I want to talk about your crew a little bit because, um, you know, Rebecca is so well-respected and just, she's uh, so wise and yet so unassuming at the same time. Yeah. And she's not selfish as a broadcaster. And I, I don't mean that as a, as a bad yeah. term, but she doesn't try to step on you or anything like that. And you really, um, you've got the, you've got the stick and you lead the thing when you're working with Rebecca. I'm sure it's not the, the same way when you're working with some other analysts in basketball, whether you're, I, I know you've filled in for Bulls games in the past and things like that. How, I don't want to say difficult, but uh, how do you, um, you know, factor in having to work with uh, different analysts? How do you do that? And um, is, is it something that's gotten easier over the course of your career? I think so. I think it's gotten easier every year. And it's never easy to have to switch partners day in and day out, not just season in and season out. I, I think if I go back and count, uh, since I started working at ESPN, I have worked with over 120 analysts in different sports. And I feel confident that I can get the best out of anybody. But to, the, to your point about Rebecca, it's different working with Rebecca. Because first and foremost, when you work at this level, when you work at a high, you know, the highest level of one particular sport, and I happen to do that in, in women's college basketball, as far as I'm concerned, Rebecca is the foremost authority on this sport. As, as I think her pedigree as a player, college and pro, uh, speaks for itself. I think her work as a broadcaster over a significant period of time in multiple roles, studio and in-game, uh, I think her pedigree speaks for itself. But what's so great about Rebecca, use the word unassuming. She is the most unassuming person you'd ever meet considering her pedigree. And the fact that she's so joyous doing games, she doesn't feel the necessity to be in the spotlight all the time. And I want her to be there because I want her knowledge to shine. I want people to listen to the incredibly intelligent and entertaining things that Rebecca has to say about the sport that we get to cover yet she doesn't feel the necessity to have to be in that role all the time. Uh, I think anytime you do college basketball, especially on site at 
partisan arenas, especially great places that we get to go, South Carolina, UConn, Oregon, Stanford, uh, Louisville, Notre Dame, these places that we get to go to, Baylor, you know, the crowds are so good. And college basketball lives on that. And in this sport, you know, the, the crowd is your number two star. And number one is the analyst because you want the analyst to be able to educate and enlighten and entertain anytime they have something to say. And you want the crowd to fill in the rest and then I'll figure out where I need to be, you know, and, and I go back to even working with Kara and Kara's the exact same way as Rebecca. And it's a reason they were so, so great as a, as a tandem of analysts working together. I, I just feel like they know when the big moment is coming and they say, it's your time. And by your, I either mean the crowd or me. And they're so respectful of that. And I always wanted to make sure that I gave them and now just working with Rebecca, giving her as much space as she desires so that when the biggest moments do come, I trust that I'll have that space to make sure I'm given the moment. And she is so aware of that. She is so appreciative to get to see these moments that she doesn't want to step over them. And I just, uh, I appreciate that so much. And by the way, most analysts are like that, but not everybody is so self-aware in the moment while they're doing the biggest games in the biggest moments. Not everybody is as self-aware as Rebecca is. And I just give her all the credit in the world for recognizing that whether she realizes she's doing it or not. And I think she does because she's just that intelligent and that aware, but well, you know, she she recognizes these moments and I want to make sure the same way she does, the same way that Holly Rowe does. You know, the China did a great job last night. Holly Rowe works with us on, on the final four and, and on most of our games. You know, they're they're so cognizant of that. Uh, and, and I just appreciate that from, you know, two partners. And I consider both of them partners. I don't think we're separate pieces. I, I consider Rebecca and Holly true partners in, in the broadcast that we put up and, and I'm very proud to work with them. So, uh, you know, I know that was a long answer, John, but I, I feel like that, that really does encompass uh, the type of people and broadcast that they are. Absolutely. And uh, no, I'm not going to allow you to apologize for long answers. I do not accept your apology. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a podcast. We got to go, right? The viral video after Agumbawale's, um three to win the national championship out of the corner and you give the call and then the three of you just hang back in in 2018 and you just kind of soak in the moment what led up to you guys having the synergy and the trust in each other in order to just you know decide that this is what we're going to do or no or was it the producer in your ear saying hey listen uh, you know just lay out just let it let it breathe or did you know that was what's going to happen you kind of I, I forget it if it was rebecca's shoulder or who whoever's shoulder you lay yeah. on you just take a rest for a moment it's just a it's just a fascinating video what what led up to that and what do you remember in that moment that you couldn't say on the air at that at that time yeah, it's it's their knowledge of this of the time and score and situation and the moment, you know, like we just talked about. They're so both of them were just so aware. And, and I think those are those are kind of baseline big game broadcast rules. You want to get out of the way of of those moments. You want to let one of the best directors in television, you know, we have Jimmy Platt who is just the Monday Night Football director. You want to let him cut with 
the amazing camera crew that he has and a great technical director in Josh Miller, we want those pictures to shine. And Karen and Rebecca know that that's the biggest moment of the game. They know that that's the moment that's going to last forever. And they were so great and gracious to give me the space to make the call. And then I know that I want to make the call and get out of the way because I want Jimmy and the camera crew and those pictures to last forever. And I want people to remember Arike getting mobbed by her teammates. I want people to remember Tierra McCowan's face. I'll still remember Tierra's face, uh, knowing that she just lost the national championship. The jaw drop of Muffet McGraw when uh, I want to say uh, – can't remember if it was Beth Cunningham or if it was Neil Ivy. Somebody grabbed her, one of her assistants grabbed her, and she just had her jaw was like frozen open after that shot. And I I want those pictures to last forever as well. And and in big moments, you have to have the awareness and and you have to know that that's what matters. You know, the call matters and then the pictures matter. The analysis doesn't need to be there without the replays, and the replays are gonna come. And I think when we were judged off of that, I was proud to be judged off of that because that's the way it had been from the start. And that's why Rebecca and I still work, I think, fairly seamlessly together uh, because that was born from the start of working with Kara and Rebecca and Holly and a great production crew. And that was born from doing, you know, Stanford, UConn and Ohio State, Louisville in Columbus in you know, the winter of 17 when we first started this project together and when we first got assigned to this together. And for us to have these, you know, that level of chemistry and to have these types of moments to be able to exercise that chemistry and then to have the biggest moment in the biggest games, you know, to to be able to utilize that chemistry and to have that trust in one another. You know, we've been lucky. We've had six Final Four games together and all of them have been dynamite. Uh, in terms of the level of excitement of all those games. And they've given me the opportunity to have calls that will last a lifetime. And I, again, I appreciate that thoroughly. And I hope, I just hope that we get something even remotely close to what we've had the last couple of years when we get down to New Orleans. Uh, How many events are you doing in a typical year overall right now? Uh, I, I would say it's probably about 110 to 120, somewhere in that range. Hmm. You know, we're just doing the math here. There are only 366 days in the year. So, you know, I, I know a lot of them are back-to-backs as well. But at the same time, you you get very limited prep time. What are the biggest things, that, and I'm sure it changes by sport, but let's sure. start Let's start with women's basketball. What are the biggest things that you hone in on, and if you know that I've got this, I'm good and I can move on and, and, and go on the air and know that everything's going to be okay. Uh, yeah. The, I think, I think having been through the process as long as I have now um, in terms of prepping college basketball, having an idea of where to look first, you know, what, what, what numbers, what website, what page on the team page, uh, what page in the game notes, what, you know, you know, for me, her hoop stats has become a great, resource and you know I, I know the five pages I need to look at immediately so that I have a great sense of of a team I I think having that process pretty much down pat has made things a lot easier and I would say the same thing for men's college basketball I'd say the same thing for the NBA and it gets easier as the season gets deeper because you do it more and more and more and so now it's this rhythm of 
all right, let me look at the team stat page. Let me look at the players that are in the rotation. Let me look at the players that are not in the rotation. I'll separate those on my spotting board. All right, I need – give me the leaders in rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. I just need the top two or three on each team. I don't really need to dive deeper beyond that. Okay, I have those. Now let's look at uh, the top scorers on the team and what they've done as of late. Let's look at the the kind of bottom of the of the scoring rotation – where are their biggest contributions? And and you just have a sense for this stuff. And once you go through that process, you know, a couple times a week, usually uh, at minimum, frankly, then, then it becomes almost second nature and it becomes easier to go through that process over and over and over again. And you know where to look. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm looking at Charlie Crane's bracketology. I know I'm looking at her hoop stats, offensive and defensive ratings from last year and this year. I know I'm looking at offensive rebound percentage. I'm, I'm looking at turnover rate. And, and those are the few things that I know I need to baseline, be prepared, and feel ready to go. And for the most part, we're, we're lucky because we're the A-team and we cover a lot of the same teams. We cover Oregon a bunch. We get UConn a bunch. We get Baylor, and, we, and, and we're going to get Stanford and Louisville. And, and we know some of the teams that we're going to have a chance to see. But when we're in Pac-12 tournament mode and you know Oregon State gets upset by Arizona and we haven't done an Arizona game this year, all right, well, let's – Let's go through that process for this team that we haven't seen yet, but we know how to go through that process again. So it, it's not easy, but it's it gets a lot easier as the season gets further and further down the line. Well, Adam, I so appreciate your time. I'll leave you with this final note. What's the best meal that you've had in the year 2020? Where 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 do we have to go to, to make sure we have the same meal that you had in your best meal in the last 50 days or whatever? You know what? It's it, it's actually very fitting. So this year's college football championship game was in New Orleans. Uh, Commander's Palace is one of the best restaurants in the entire city. For those of you who happen to be going down, make your plans and reservations now. I think it's phenomenal. It is uh, just an incredible menu. Uh, I, I Great bottles of wine. It was a, a great meal that night. It certainly helps when you have great company. I was with three close friends. Who are all down there covering the game as well, and uh, and I think for a lot of people who are headed down to New Orleans for the national championship weekend uh, in, in college basketball this year, I think that'd be a great place. To Beautiful. That's how we do it, Adam. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem, John. Thank you. That is Adam Mameen, the lead college basketball play-by-play voice on the women's side for ESPN. Really appreciate Adam's time, and that was thirty-four minutes, basically all about him doing women's basketball. And that's just only a small piece of who Adam is. Adam could go on forever. Uh, We could have asked questions about so many other things. A multi-talented guy and one of the fastest rising stars. And he's no doubt at this point, you know, almost 10 years into this thing, established. Um, Not saying that, but Man, he's, his star is still rising, and he's got so much further he can go, and he works so hard. Uh, it seems like he's always in an airport or uh, in a locker room. So, man, just does a terrific job. Really appreciate Adam's time. Uh, make sure to keep it tuned to the channel here and hit subscribe if you haven't already because we've got more Unplugged podcasts coming up. There's so much drama heading into the back end of the conference season. Then conference championships are on the way. Uh, and then after that, of course, the NCAA tournament and the WNIT and everything surrounding that. We're going to have it covered for you either on this portion of the podcast or make 
Megan Gower's portion, the Unplugged podcast as well. So make sure you're hitting that subscribe button so you can come back every single time and you just get these little bits of audio gold dumped into your phone. Really appreciate you being here with us. A reminder, our music is by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. Thanks to Susie Solis, our announcer, for entertaining us with her voice once again. And Aaron Barzilai is the executive producer of Her Hoop Stats Podcast. I'm John Little reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats Podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.